Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast. No relationship to Kim Jong-un. I'm a left-wing pundit and a writer at The Atlantic and Vogue. And I'm Andy Levy, former Fox News and CNN HLN guy and current cable news conscientious objector. And I'm producer Jesse Cadden, and I'm here to make sure things don't go too far off the rails. We're here to have fun, smart conversations with the wisest and funniest people in science and media and politics that help make what's happening today clearer. Our world has been turned upside down, and on The New Abnormal, we'll talk about the people who got us into this mess and how we'll hopefully get ourselves out of it. What a great show we have today. First, we're going to talk to Washington Post contributing columnist George Conway, all about Trump's legal jeopardy. Then we have Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, who represents Virginia's 7th District, and she's going to talk to us about her race as well as her wacky opponent. But first, let's have some fun. Andy Levy! Molly Jongfest. The great state of Alaska. It's called the Pinecone State. <laughs> I don't think that's right. No, it's that's not. Right. I'm just, no, it's definitely not right. I just, it's called the Oil Well State. <laughs> and it went from being represented by a guy who stabbed someone and said lots of racist stuff for many, many years to now, at least for the next four months, being represented by the first Alaskan Native person to ever win a congressional seat and she is it and she's a democrat wow pretty fucking cool how did this happen maybe it's because the republican party keeps nominating really really bad candidates in this case and i know you know as a feminist she's one of your favorites molly but sarah palin (laughs) i think just maybe not the best choice here this is like the second time in a couple weeks that the democrats have won a special election and i'm starting to think molly maybe this means something but I don't know what. Nah, clearly not. Certainly not. I mean, what's interesting about this election, you may remember Sarah Palin as being the person played by Tina Fey who said she could see (laughs) Alaska from her back porch. (laughs) Tina Fey was always a much more convincing Sarah Palin than Sarah Palin ever was. But one of the things that I think really pissed off the Alaskan voters was that she left her job as governor right. early to go be doing television and being famous. My sense is that they did not want to give her another job. Yeah, I think that's right. I think when you quit on the voters, they don't tend to reward you when you try to, you know, make a comeback and, and you ask well, them when to- When you failed at something <laughs> right. else. But, you know, you got to give credit to Palin because what she has learned is that as a Republican member of Congress, your whole job can be to go on Fox News and podcast and do and say just incredibly dumb things. It's a lot harder to do that as the governor of state when you're actually, you know, supposed to be in charge or something. She actually did figure out that she was much better suited to being a Republican congressperson than being a governor, but the voters didn't care. 
I think what's interesting about Sarah Palin is that the Republican Party came down to her level. So when she, I mean, this is in no way an endorsement of the Republican Party in any way, but when she ran originally as vice president, there was a sense that she and Michelle Bachman were outliers, sort of hyper wild TV friendly, low substance politicians. Now, that's pretty much what they're all like. Congratulations, Republican Party. Yeah, it turned out they, you're right. That's what we, you know, everyone thought back then. But it turns out they weren't outliers. They were harbingers. But they've sort of, it's sort of the, uh, the student is now the master type situation where even Palin seems kind of quaint compared to a Marjorie Taylor Greene or a Lauren Boebert or a Matt Gates or any of those wackos. Um, you know, Palin seems like a, sort of like an old timey candidate, <laughs> but you're right. She was like, she was the start of all of this. Maybe young people have forgotten that and are not giving her her due as sort of the, uh, the founding mother <laughs> the worst. of today's yes, Republican of party. terrible candidates. Yes. Congratulations. But my understanding is that this election was rigged. Uh, and it was rigged against yeah, Republicans because it was ranked uh, choice voting. Choice voting, which Alaskans were tricked into supporting. Yes. By themselves. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and we're seeing like Tom Cotton and people like that. Use, they're literally using the word rigged. You know a Republican has lost an election when someone is claiming something was rigged. Because he didn't mention the race, but he tweeted that there was a rigged election. And immediately I was just like, oh, well, if you didn't know there was a Republican race tonight or there was a race tonight that a Republican lost, now you do, because that's just their go to now. And at some point, maybe they'll figure out that it's not the ranked choice voting. It's the rank choices that their candidates are giving voters. Right. 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 Think about yeah. it, Molly. Think about it. Think about what I just said. <laughs> Think about Yeah, I got it a little okay. sort of, uh, right. okay. yes, very clever. All right. <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting because I don't want to be too optimistic here. And, you know, I'm not. But it does seem like it's another defeat for the GOP in this sort of string of defeats. So, I mean, again, we really don't, until we get to those midterms, you know, we don't really know how it's going to go. But it is interesting that this keeps happening and that Republicans keep losing. Yeah. And we should point out, I mean, there were two Republican candidates and one Democratic candidate. So Palin didn't get ranked. So what? So Sam Wang at Princeton, who's quite smart and, and knows a lot about ranked choice voting, pointed out that the situation, and again, we live in New York City, so we got our terrible mayor through yes. ranked choice voting. Yes. So, again, we both have very mixed feelings about oh, ranked choice voting. Oh, it was rigged. But- it's rigged. <laughs> exactly. But the way it works with ranked choice is that you're given more credit for being ranked second. Right. So, basically, what happened was the people who voted for Palin only voted for Palin. The people who didn't vote for Palin didn't rank her as anything else. Ergo, she was knocked out. And this is the way in which ranked choice voting ends up hurting the extremist candidates because it means you may not get your first choice, but you're allowed, you're able in this system to vote against someone. And so if you had ranked choice voting with the Republicans in 2000, 
15, you would never have had Trump, right? Because, you know, a lot of people would have done Ted Cruz and Marco, one and two. Right. But the people who did Marco as one and Ted Cruz as two, it would have knocked Trump out. So that's the way in which ranked choice gets sort of extremists. Was that a really good explanation or did you guys already know that? I didn't listen, so I can't judge. <laughs> yes, you did. You, you, you no, did it good. was. It was. All I took from that was that if, if the Republicans had had ranked choice voting in 2015, Jeb Bush would have been president. That's what I think you were saying. And very likely. Yeah. I don't know how much it's weighted, but it might be that everybody's second choice could win. For sure. My only point was that most races are not ranked choice. So to try to right. extrapolate from this anything for November is a little difficult. But as you said, well, this is a good streak you- that Democrats are on. And, right. you know, and that can't be just thrown in the trash because the voting was a little different here, you know, because it's, you know. Right. And Dave Wasserman from Political Report said the the same thing. And he's, I mean, he's really smart about watching elections. He said, you you can't pull too much from this. But if you look at what happened in Kansas and you look at what happened in New York 19, we certainly are seeing that Democrats may be in a better position than we'll see. Though I did talk to a political reporter today who's a real pain in the ass, who, who I love, but who said this might be the peak for Democrats. And that Republicans will come home. Uh But I don't agree. I think he's fucking wrong. I'm sort of known for my fearless punditry and predictions. And I am going to say that what we know now is that we know something is going on. We just don't know what. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think come November, you'll see that I was right. Yeah, I think that's right. Something's coming. Another thing that happened, which I think may in fact be going great for Republicans, is that Trump has continued to fight with the Justice Department. His newest move is um, trying to make them um, release different documents to make him look like a criminal. <laughs> it's going well. It really is. Right? It is absolutely amazing what is going on here. We've got listeners, you've probably seen the, it's fairly famous photo, I think at this point, of all the top secret documents uh, laid out on the floor that was part of the uh, court filing. This was at Mar-a-Lago. So Republicans have decided that they're going to be up in arms about this photo, and they have sort of picked this as they're they're going to fight the FBI and the Justice Department on this and make it seem like they're out to get Trump or whatever. And we've got Mark Levin saying that having this photo of documents where, where it clearly says top secret on them is a violation of the Espionage Act and the FBI should be tried for violating the Espionage Act. <laughs> anything they can talk about. It's truly amazing. We had one of Trump's lawyers go on Fox News and they're very upset, and Trump himself is upset, that this photo gives the impression that this is how the documents were found, that they were just lying on the floor like this, which, of course, nobody thinks. This is when you take an evidence picture, which we've all seen evidence pictures before. You spread out the evidence, and you take the picture. So we have, there was one of, we have a lawyer, one of Trump's lawyers, going on Fox News and saying, I've been in that room, and the room is very neat, and he has guests in that room, and it's very neat. And it's like, you just admitted that he had guests in a room where there was top secret documents. So it's not <laughs> yes. the secu- every, day. every day. So it's not the secure facility that, you know, that's one of their 
claims is that, oh, it was it was in a very secure place. No, it wasn't. And you have Trump saying the same thing. But originally it was that they pl- first they planted the evidence. And now it's like, no, I had the top secret documents, but I had them stacked neatly. So it wasn't a crime is apparently the new thing now. And it's just unreal. It, like every day there's this race to come up with the dumbest possible excuse. I mean, clearly this is like social media malpractice, but one point the GOP account, which is known for its oh, the great lengths it does to protect Trump, tweeted out a picture, the picture, the evidence picture with the framed magazines, you know, in the corner of the picture. And they were like, you have some problem with the framed magazines? And it's like, no, that's not what the picture's of, guys. I mean, I just think they're making it so much worse for him because they can't, they can't find it, can't figure out a story that works. Yeah, the worst thing about that tweet that you're talking about, it was the House Judiciary Twitter account, which is run by Jim Jordan because he's the ranking Republican on the committee. It's run by his people. And he's out there, like you're on the House Judiciary Committee. I saw that tweet the first couple times I saw it, it was screenshotted and I assumed it was fake. I'm like, there's absolutely no way this is a real tweet. This is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure enough, it actually was real. And it's like, how can you be on the Judiciary Committee and tweet something that stupid where there's an entire picture of top secret documents in a hotel office or whatever? And you're going to focus on the fact that there's also a framed cover of Time magazine. Like everyone is making it worse for Trump, which maybe secretly, maybe that's what they're all trying to do. I don't know. I mean, there certainly are people on the GOP side who understand just how fucked they are. Right. There are people on the GOP side, whether or not they admit it, that realize that Trump is a complete liability and they can't add to the base. So the math is if you can't add to the base, you can't win. Right. Every day, more of these things come out, you know, it's you lose voters. So even if, I mean, there's just no math in which Trump becomes a better candidate than he was four years ago. Absolutely. And I think you're right. But look, Mitch McConnell clearly realizes that. I think Kevin McCarthy realizes that, but he's too much of an absolute coward to say it publicly. I don't think Jim Jordan realizes that because he's Jim Jordan. No. (laughs) But clearly, I mean, if you're a Chuck Grassley, you know this is not going anywhere good. I mean, you can do basic math. Absolutely. But to me, it's more like, you know, the politicians you expect this shit from. But I'm looking at this and I'm seeing like... Like journalists, like I'm seeing Byron York is, you know, he's a conservative, whatever, but he's always been sort of a... Uh, Let's use journalists in quotes here, but yes, continue. Yes, fair enough, fair enough. But he's always sort of been like, a, you know, an intellectual or whatever. Brit Hume used to be a very respected journalist in a, in a way former life. And now these guys, they come up with new ways every day to be clown themselves. And I like, what is this? How is this worth it to you? What are you getting from this? I don't understand. You know, whatever reputation you had is completely torched and it ain't coming back. You're never going back to having a good reputation because you've sunk that low. It's not even like you could say, well, I made a couple of mistakes. You, you completely went over to the dumb side and you're just you're not coming back from that. And, you know, you're now lumped in with the the idiot politicians like Jim Jordan and Matt Gates and the people like that. And you're part of that crew now, whether you like it or not. And, and that's it for you. I mean, the problem is they're backed into a corner. There's no world in which 
They can't get out of Trumpism without alienating the Trumpy base that they have to have in order to win elections. So they're going to have to figure out. I mean, it's a sort of fascinating situation they put themselves into. Right. Trump won't go away. All Trump cares about is bringing everybody down. Right. right. So he's not going to there's no world in which he's like, oh, OK, I guess I've done enough crime. We'll move. You guys move on to DeSantis. Be well, you know. Right. I mean, he's going to bring this all down because he doesn't want to go to jail. And also he wants to raise money. You know, he can make money off of his base. So they find themselves in an impossible situation. I mean, well-deserved and fuck them. And, you know, they killed democracy on the way there. And the math on this is there's no way out for them. And even for DeSantis, who might end up being the heir apparent to Trumpism, there's no way out. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And the thing is, is there a way out for the Republican Party in general? It doesn't really feel like it right now. I mean, things change, obviously. And, you know, in 2040, when we're all having to write on waterproof paper, you know, when our ballots underwater, the Republican Party may look totally different. But right now, because no non-Trumpy candidate is going to win. Like we're, the people we're talking about is DeSantis or, or, you know, it, well, it's basically just DeSantis at this point, but Jeb Bush ain't running in 2024. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, there is no way out for them in 2024. And, and Trump is not going away for all those reasons you mentioned. But, and also on top of that, I think for the ego reason, like he, really doesn't believe he lost in 2020. He can't admit that he ever lost. And the only way he can really prove that is to win in 2024. So he almost has to run again. They're kind of trapped in this, as you said, they're, they're trapped in this corner. But I know what you're saying about the base not growing is true, but I'm still in a popular vote presidential election. They wouldn't have a prayer of winning in an electoral vote. Right presidential election, they do have a prayer, and that's scary. They have a prayer, but the situation is it's not getting better for them, it's getting worse. No, agreed, agreed. And I think that math is not, you know, every time there's another announcement about Trump getting in trouble for something, you lose some voters. And so you're in a, just, you're in a theoretically worse position than you were two years ago. And so I think that is going to be I think there's got to be people in the Republican Party who are smart enough to realize that that's what's happening. Yeah, they're just in, they're just in the minority. <laughs> <laughs> a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, there's something I've really been needing to get off of my chest lately, which is that everyone and their mother should listen to the Andre 3000 album because it lifts my spirits on a regular basis, 1000%. We all carry around different problems, big and small. And let's be honest, when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. That's where therapy comes in. It's like this safe space where you can unload all those burdens and start figuring out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy can make a difference. I know this from firsthand experience, and it's not just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for anyone who wants to improve their mental well-being. Therapy can help you learn coping skills. It can teach you how to set better boundaries, and it can make you be a better version of yourself. If you're considering therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, which means it's convenient, flexible, and fits into your schedule seamlessly. Plus, getting started is as easy as filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part, you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. So why wait? Take that first step towards a happier, healthier you with BetterHelp. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash The New Abnormal today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash The New Abnormal. George Conway is a contributing columnist to The Washington Post. Welcome back to The New Abnormal, George Conway. Hello, Molly Jongfast. How are you? I, you know, it's all happening here. Can you explain to us, is Donald Trump going to jail? Well, I can't guarantee it, but there's a reasonable likelihood of it. I think it's going to be very difficult for the Justice Department to decline prosecuting him. I mean, I think before any fair jury, he'd have to be convicted based upon what we're seeing. I mean, no, I mean, there's still more evidence that needs to come out. And that, that they'd need to put on. But everything points to him being in a heap of trouble. And we haven't seen everything that the Justice Department has, in particular, the evidence that was set forth in the sealed affidavit that was only partially unredacted that describes how the FBI learned or deduced that Trump was still holding on to documents, even after his attorneys had certified to the government that all classified marked documents had been returned. So it's going to get interesting. Is this a case of Trump's attorneys needing attorneys? Well, they absolutely do need attorneys. Bob, in particular, is very exposed because she is the one that who made the representation after they responded with a red weld of documents in response to the subpoena. She certified that a diligent search was made for responsive documents and that all, all responsive documents were produced, which was, as it turned out, false. I'm shockingly so. Right. So the, the question is, what was the basis for her to make that certification? Did someone tell her to make the certification? Did someone tell her that he personally looked for all the documents? We don't have any, if that's so. And if that's so, you know, she would. I mean, I, I think she's going to have to testify unless she takes the Fifth Amendment. Um, because this is this is a question of crime fraud exception to the attorney-client privilege. She would have to testify that the Donald said, uh, we don't tell them we don't have any more, just give them these. And if that's what he says, if that's what he told her to do, and in fact, 
I have these beautiful documents still left in my office. He, he's going to go to jail on the basis of her testimony. But I'm not even sure they need her testimony. I mean, this stuff was in his office. Uh, yeah, I mean, this stuff was in his office. He knew it was there. Hadn't he written in the margins? We don't know whether that means anything because that he could have written that marginalia when he received the documents back at the White House. Okay. You know, writing in the margin, oh, wow, uh, Macron slept with his teacher. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> is that, hey, have some, is that, I'm, I'm working on that. It's getting better, right? I mean, it's not, it's not the best. You, we've had best, other people not. come here and do impressions. All right, it's not the worst. It's not the worst. It's not the worst. It's not the worst. I would say it's like, you know, I mean, we've definitely had worse. It's me doing an impression of somebody doing an impression of somebody doing an impression of Trump. Yeah. I mean, Rick Wilson does a very good Bill Clinton. Oh, I always I was able to do Bill Clinton in, way back in the 90s. We have a rule on here, which is Republicans are not allowed to make fun of Bill Clinton, only Democrats. <laughs> when did we make that rule? <laughs> All right. Anyway, moving on. So what I'm curious about is, so you have these documents and they're in his office one of the things that his people have said again and again as a defense, I mean, again, I think they're really scrambling some of their defenses. Many of their defenses are making it worse for him. But one of the things they say is that the photos were staged. Can you explain to our listeners a little bit about how that's completely hooey? I think that's legal term. I don't know what they mean by the photos were staged. They took, They found these documents in the office. And they put them on the floor to take a photograph of what they found to show that's where they found they found them in the office. They didn't say that that was the condition of the office when they when they found the documents. But, I mean, if you were trying to document the finding of evidence, I mean, I, it's not that hard. You, you just take a picture. You take tons and tons and tons of pictures. And this one was more demonstrative than others. But I'm sure basically they took photographs as they were pulling out the documents from the drawers or the boxes that were there. I don't know what they mean by staged. The documents were either in the in the office there or they weren't. They were either in the storage room or they weren't. So they took a picture of the documents after they put them out and laid them out to show, to illustrate. So so what? It's pretty standard, right? Uh, you'd have to ask a, a Peter Strzok or somebody. Right, but yeah, right. I, I, would, I can't imagine. I mean, if I found some piece of crazy evidence that I was going to turn over to the cops... I would take a photograph of it and hold on to that. And um, in fact, I had to do that once. So I went one right after the um, right after the inauguration. I got home in 2017. Got home with the kids late late one night, and there was a package in front of uh, that, that had been delivered. And I opened it, and it was full of white powder. You know, and I took the I took carefully took the white powder or the the thing, and I kind of held it with my hand and walked it out to the driveway and put it down in the middle of the driveway and took a photograph of it, of the envelope, <laughs> you know, and then called the police. Did you think it was, could have been rice and anthrax? I had no idea, but I certainly wasn't going to take the chance. So I just immediately just, you know, it was in a sealed baggie and I just took the everything, the contents of the, the, the envelope and the bag, and I just walked it out to the driveway and just dropped it there and made the phone call. And then, you know, the, the police came, the local, you know, everybody came, the, so on and so forth. But that's what you do. You would you just, you would take photographs is the point. You'd take a photograph of something if you saw something that you were trying to 
preserve as evidence. I mean, I need, we all do that now. If you saw a plane crash, you'd pull up your camera. Right. It's just what we do now. And I can't imagine, you know, I mean, if, and I'm sure the FBI would have done it 40 years ago, except with a different kind of device. So I don't see what the big deal about the photograph is, other than it just shows, you know, it's dramatic because you can actually see, I mean, most of us have never seen top secret classified document cover sheets <laughs> until that photograph. The reason you can see the cover sheets is you can see the point of the cover sheets are, are, are they're meant to scare the bejesus out of you. Right. That this is something that if you are not supposed to have or touch or look at, you want to leave the room because you might go to jail. It's pretty dramatic to actually see it. And that's, I'm sure that's why the government attached it to the brief. But Trump and his lawyers asked, basically asked for that by filing this stupid motion. It seems like he, his lawyers keep making everything worse. He makes everything worse because they're doing what he wants them to do. Right? He wants to go on the offense. The problem is he has no weapons to go on the offense with. And he has no legal arguments. He has no defense. He only has lies. And there's a limit to what lawyers will say in a pleading that's false. And so... He's trying to create an issue by saying, oh, the justice, the justice department is out of control, so we need a special master. Well, okay, if you keep stating these conclusions in your briefs about how this is a terrible search, it was, you know, there was no basis for it, justice department's going to come back and say, here's the basis for it. Right. They're able to do that actually pretty well without releasing any grand jury materials because a lot of it was just back and forth. And, it, you know, the search, nobody would know about this search except for the fact that he put it out there. Right, because he thought it would help him. Yeah, no, that, that's the amazing thing. I mean, as I said, I've said a couple of times on TV the last couple of days, the, the Trump people basically said to the Justice Department, punch us in the face, and that's what they did. They just asked for it. They are, keep asking for triggering legally necessary responses by the Justice Department, and every time it happens, something unfortunate comes out for him because the facts and the law are against them. And we haven't heard, we haven't heard them articulate a defense yet that's coherent, legally and factually sound. So Trump did hire this former Solicitor General of Florida, who is actually a good lawyer. Yes, he did, apparently. I don't know what a good lawyer can do for him. That was my question. What can a good lawyer do for him? Nothing. You think it's just too late? The mistakes he made, he already made. The, the one way he had out of this was to basically turn the documents over a year ago and not jerk the government around. They wouldn't have prosecuted him, even though you and you or I, if we had taken this shit home, we'd be in jail. Right. That we would be prosecuted. And we would be prosecuted even if they came, the government came to us and nicely said, hey, do you have any documents? And we said, yes, here they are. Oh my God, classified documents. We'd immediately be referred to uh, the Justice Department for prosecution. Isn't that why Chelsea Manning ended up in jail? And there's so many other people. I mean, there's this great, the, the, this incredible case last year or the year before. There's a woman who was a Department of Defense employee. She was seconded to the United States Embassy to the Philippines in Manila. And she was writing some kind of a thesis for a graduate degree. And so she used a couple of theses that she had copies of that had classified information, similar kind of thing. And she brought them home to use as models or sources. And she left them in her bedroom. She held a party for her colleagues at the embassy and somebody at the party 
went into her bedroom, I took us to use the bathroom or something, and saw the classified documents and reported her. And she had to plead guilty in the United States District Court yeah. for the District of Hawaii. And this stuff, I, I mean, I doubt that this, what that, whatever this woman had, has any degree of national security implications that remotely would approach something that would be given to the president of the United States that's marked TSSCI special access program or HCS for the, you know, human sources and SI and all these markings that are very, 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 you know, show that, that these are very, very sensitive documents that could get people killed or that could gravely harm the security of the United States if they were divulged to the wrong people, such as many of the people who apparently traipse through Mar-a-Lago every day. He did this to himself. NARA and the Justice Department cut him a lot of slack. They gave, he had the opportunity. He could have given these documents back all at once. In January, he didn't. They subpoenaed him, and he didn't give them all back. And then ha- his people lied. You know, And the question is, to what extent they did it at his behest? They lied about that they had given it all back. And they refused to let the Justice Department look in the storage room in the FBI at that same time. This is a pattern of obstruction here. Right. Again, it doesn't even depend that much anymore on what's actually in the documents. I mean, for even if he had the right to declassify them, which he did not. I mean, he did. He did. He could, did have the right to, re- to declassify them, but only through specified procedures. But even if he had done that, you know, he'd still be on the hook for obstruction because the, 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 the subpoena this summer called for all documents with bearing cl- classified markings. And these, you know, whether or not they were classified... They, they, they had markings. Right. And then they represented that they had produced all of them, which they had not. And then on the classification, they never, ever said, oh, by the way, these documents are declassified. They, that, was a, that was something they thought about months later when they produced the original set of 15 boxes and when they produced the Red Rail, which they had double taped and secured. So they were treating the documents as though they were highly sensitive and classified. That was... The news cycle where Trump said he could put his hand on something, yeah. Well, he basically took the position long after the fact that anything he brought up to the private residence was therefore declassified. Well, no, nobody received any notice of that. It didn't happen. It's not a crime when the president does it. That's what Nixon says. Well, Donald Trump's view is everything I do is right and anything that anyone does to me is is wrong. He's the quintessential pathological narcissist and a sociopath. And that's why he behaves the way he behaves. And sooner or later, these people self-destruct because they cannot help themselves. And this is, you know, some people say, oh my gosh, he's, he's just going to go down on these, uh, on this, on this document charges when he, had, he tried to conduct an insurrection. No, no, it, it's actually perfect that he, he go down on this if he goes down on this, because it is such the perfect Trumpian combination of derangement and dumbness that was is just quintessentially Trump. This scandal actually is the perfect thing in a way to bring him to him to the end that he deserves, which is a stay in a federal penitentiary. Actually he'll probably get house arrest or something, but it's still <laughs> it's still gonna be pretty <laughs> amazing. At some point Republicans decide this can only hurt us, right? Well they look any sensible Republican believes that. But the problem is they are terrified of saying that because they're terrified that the you know people will attack them for it. They're in the horns of a dilemma. The one dilemma they can't they can't piss off a high percentage of the Republican base, 
But at the same time, he's making it difficult for them to win elections. Right. He cost them the Senate once. He may easily cost them the Senate again this fall. He certainly, you know, who knows what could happen in the House. I mean, it was likely the Republicans will win the House, but none of this makes it easy. Oh, well. <laughs> George Conway, thank you, you for that. joining us. It's very sad. I, yeah. Thoughts? You're just going to have to go for a long walk and console yourself. Right. Thoughts, prayers, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, thoughts, prayers, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, George Conway. Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger represents Virginia's 7th Congressional District. Welcome to the new abnormal Congresswoman Spanberger. Thanks for having me. I'm really thrilled to have you. I feel like first we have to talk about the documents. Can we talk <laughs> the Mar-a-Lago <laughs> carpet documents? Oh, let's talk about it. I don't understand. You worked in the CIA. I mean, are you allowed to do that? Absolutely not. For me, so I'm a former CIA case officer. I worked handling foreign agents, sat across the table from them in cars with them, wherever it was that we were collecting this information and promised to keep them safe, to keep their information safe, uh, recognized the, I, I, I you know, told them the value of the information you're providing to the United States government helps keep us safe and you safe and our countries at peace, you know, depending upon the the information and the idea that there might be people overseas who are risking their lives or risking imprisonment to provide vital information to the United States government. Now they potentially are worried that their reports might end up on the floor um, unsecured, just kind of there for the potential taking is unbelievable to me, quite frankly. I'm sure you had a lot of Republican colleagues in national security. Are you surprised that they continue to defend this? I mean, do you think there'll be a moment when they stop? Well, I think, you know, importantly, in CIA, we were nonpartisan. We were mission driven. You know, whether people's political leanings went one way or the other, you know, frankly, I don't I don't know. But certainly any person who serves in the intelligence community or has served in the intelligence community understands the gravity of what we're, you know, witnessing, the gravity of what this means that, I mean, at this point, a, a private citizen, though a former president, but a private citizen would just have stacks of classified documents at his home is stunning. I think increasingly we're starting to hear people or see people go quiet, which I, I think sadly it might get as, as close as we'll see for some people in terms of, you know, recognizing the, the gravity of the circumstances. They'll, you know, move on from defending these actions, move on for saying, but they're just documents and perhaps just stay quiet. But, you know, importantly, documents are the key to everything. So the idea that it's just documents, no, it's classified documents, classified documents that's in, indeed in the intelligence world, what you go after. And there's really kind of no more significant or important thing to get your hands on than classified documents from another country's intelligence services. So it's just stunning. And, you know, in, in our race too, you know, I, I'm running against, uh, or an opponent's running against me who's called the FBI corrupt and denounced the lawful search warrant, called the FBI deep state, and to just continue to view detail after detail, uh, it, it's stunning to me that anybody would hold that opinion. I'm at a loss for words, Molly. <laughs> <laughs> Party of law and order-ish, right? Was pretend yes. Well, and it depends. I mean, law and order. Law and order is in ensuring that classified documents that are closely controlled. And you know, I used to write documents and intel reports that we would classify and classify under the HCS 
classification because they were coming directly from human sources. I used to read in advance of going out on, on different operations and different debriefings, the various different intel reports that came from all these different sources. The importance that this information be safeguarded. I mean, you know, we, in a skiff, I worked in a skiff, a special compartmented information facility, and yet every single day at the end of the day, every piece of paper had to be locked up in a safe in that skiff. Yeah, can we talk about that? Yeah. Because there were skiff documents that Trump had. Can you explain to our listeners what that means? So a SCIF, a special compartmented information facility, it's a, basically what you call a room or a building where you go to work, you can't have Fitbits, you can't have phones, certainly not, you can't have any smartwatch. You go into this space without any sort of ability to push information out and without any risk that a foreign intelligence agency might be able to follow you in or create a listening device for some sort of technology that might be on your person. You go into this space and, you know, and I was a CIA officer, like we worked in these spaces and you work on classified computers and all of your documents that you might have, you might be printing things, you might be writing things, you might have paper, but that paper um, either goes in the burn bag when you're done with it to literally right. you know, be incinerated, or it goes in a locked safe that you control within the skiff. And then, you know, the types of documents and, and what we've seen from that very stunning photo is these are all top secret SCI, so special compartmented information. Um, and then there's various types, it's been reported, various types of information, some HCS, and that means it's information that's classified because it came from a human um, asset. That means... A spy, right? Yes, exactly. A foreign agent, someone overseas who, for whatever reason, and, and you know, in, in my dealings with people who were reporting, it was, you know, someone who took great risk, risk prison, risk death, because they wanted to ensure that the United States government had good information about what was happening in their country. Sometimes because they wanted to avoid miscommunications or misunderstandings as tempers might have been flaring between us and that country, sometimes because they had a great respect for the United States and our role of you know, global leadership in the world. And they wanted to make sure that we were well informed about what was happening on the ground in their country or in leadership circles within their government. But HCS information is coming from a person that, you know, if that information falls into the wrong hands, it can potentially be very identifying for who that person would have been. And not only that, but it's you know, it risks that obviously that person getting caught, but it also risks that pipeline of information and information obtained from human assets. We call them agents at CIA. You know, that's among the most valuable information that you possibly can obtain because it's the plans and intentions, it's the discussions happening in foreign capitals, and it's really valuable to our our national security. People could lose their lives because of this. So I'm also a former intel officer, so you know, precision language matters. Right. I'll say. People can and people have lost their lives when it was realized that they were providing information to the United States government. Right. So depending upon, you know, what information has or hasn't been released or what might, you know, have been compromised anytime there is mishandling of classified information. And, you know, in this case with HCS related to human sources, yes, that risks people's lives. If it's other types of intelligence derived from signals intelligence or derived from technical means, you know, that risks United States, our technologies, it, it, it risks exposing the, the methods by which we're able to collect information, which is also a great risk 
to our ability to continue collecting information. In the Times article, it said department officials are not expected to file charges imminently if they ever do. I mean, do you think that's possible? It seems so crazy because the stuff is so top secret. I'm going to have to defer to the the, the DOJ attorneys on this. I think even the documents that they released last night demonstrate such a clear process that they have gone through trying to get the documents back from the former president, uh, issuing a subpoena to ensure that they could get the documents back in, in May, and now ultimately going before a judge and demonstrating why a search warrant was necessary for them to be able to continue collecting the information that was within the former president's possession that should not have been in his possession. You know, I, I can't make predictions on on what comes next, but certainly as a former intel officer, I can say that if, you know, if, if just about, well, if anyone I ever worked with had a collection of documents like this, you know, at their home, there's no question of what would have happened to them. I do think that, you know, what we see in terms of the DNI is going to be doing a full review of the potential ramifications of these documents being not in controlled places, not stored properly, what the risk analysis uh, that they might put forth, I think will be valuable. And my hope is that while certainly elements of that document that they produce will most certainly have to be classified, I do hope that there's an unclassified version that will be released publicly so that the American public has a general understanding to the extent that's appropriate in an unclassified document of what it means that the former president had these documents and whether or not there is any evidence that there were perhaps real risks that were realized because of the fact that these documents were outside of government control for quite some time. Let's talk about your opponent. Because you are measured and careful and come from law enforcement. She comes from law enforcement, too. But she's making a name for herself by uh, saying a lot of wild stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, just the the greatest example of that would be as it relates to the Mar-a-Lago raid or the the lawful search warrant that was uh, executed at at, uh, the former president's home. She was fundraising off that event. She accused the FBI of being corrupt. She called them deep state. You know, she implored people to donate to her so that she can be part of defending Trump from, you know, what she considered to be just some a, a terrible occurrence. And, you know, notably, the brave men and women of the FBI are the ones who uphold the laws. They investigate terrorism. They investigate robberies and kidnappings and crimes against Americans overseas. I had the opportunity to work with FBI agents, both when I was a former federal agent myself working uh, some narcotics cases, but then also as a CIA officer, we would coordinate on on certain things when there was a, a, a link back home to the United States to issues that or risks that were occurring domestically. And notably, the 7th District of Virginia also includes Quantico, which is the FBI's training facility. So, you know, it's not only her words attacking FBI agents as corrupt and her words accusing them of being part of the deep state. It's not just an attack against our law enforcement agents. It's it's attack against people who live in our district, people who devote their lives and, and at times risk their lives to uphold the law and protect their fellow American citizens who are trained in the 7th District of Virginia. And so, you know, these comments are just absolutely stunning to me, sadly not surprising because she continues to uh, be driven by or demonstrate that she's driven by ideology. But this, you know, follows somewhat recently she had spoken about doubting whether or not women can get pregnant from rape. Right. I was just about to bring that up. <laughs> She favors a a national ban on abortion. 
sadly does not seem to understand the basic biology of pregnancy and, and certainly demonstrates a, a pretty significant uh, lack of respect or humanity towards women who are uh, victims of sexual violence. You represent a pretty swingy district, right? It's pretty close. That's right. You're running against a real MAGA. You're not running against like a normal candidate where you could see suburban voters saying, well, you know, do you feel a little bit lucky <laughs> that these Trumpy candidates, they just seem so preposterous. Like, I mean, what normal person says, okay, you know, isn't it sort of like, I mean, you really are on the front lines of running against someone who is like beyond Trumpy. That's absolutely true. The way that I look at it is this person actually won a primary. Now there was a a multi-candidate primary, so there was not a kind of overwhelming mandate, but my opponent didn't win a primary. She was selected as the candidate to run against me. She continues to demonstrate extreme after extreme ideology and total disconnect from, I mean, she defended the January 6th insurrectionist, I forgot to mention that. But to the question about kind of the status of the race, I flipped a district that hadn't elected a Democrat since 1968. I'm used to dealing in, in hard districts and running tough races. I think the reality is these extreme candidates keep getting nominated. They are a part of the American political fabric at this point. And so I think that their ideology, their extreme positions, the, you know, the fact that anyone would say that they don't think a woman can get pregnant from rape, the, the idea that anyone would defend a January 6th insurrectionist who beat police officers or call the FBI corrupt, that may seem utterly offensive to me and you and, and hopefully the majority of voters within Virginia's 7th District, the reality is that there are people who align with that. Right. And so for me, my, my goal is to ensure that someone who is so just absolutely ill-equipped to go to Washington, so extreme, so out of touch with the, the basic tenets of governance and, and rule of law as, as a legislator would need to uh, abide, that that person never gets anywhere close uh, to Capitol Hill. I am committed to ensuring that the people in my district who have real needs, who depend on a you know, pragmatic, thoughtful, facts and information-driven legislator, that I continue serving that role for them. It's my duty to make sure that someone who is bombastic and driven by ideology and a pusher of extreme ideology never gets close to having a vote on behalf of the people of uh, of our district. There must be people in your district who are conservatives who are like just horrified. Yes, yes. And they've certainly told me so. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like you're living the example of like these candidates who are Trumpy enough so they win their primaries, but completely unelectable in a general, especially in a swing district. You know, and the the scary part, though, is we have seen some of these candidates be elected in other places. And that becomes the dire circumstance for the strength of our democracy and for our system. But certainly I have had many people come up to me and, you know, this predates this particular election. It's my 2020 re-election and my 2018 initial win where, you know, people will say I'm a Republican, but And then the but is all of the things that they view as being problematic within their party or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that but is, and I'm voting for you, or I did vote for you. Just last week I was at an event and I had three different people say that I'm a Republican, but, and, you know, one of them said, I voted for you in 1820 and I'll do it again in 22. You know, I think it's important that especially for principled, actual small C conservatives to recognize that there are people who are running away from what the original 
you know, what the kind of most recent sort of values of a small C conservative Republican party, let's say of the sort of Liz Cheney vein, that the party is so far removed from that at this point in time. And so there are many people who are making choices to vote for across party lines. And in, in my case, people who are telling me that, you know, I don't agree with you on everything, but and then insert all of the reasons why they are voting for me. Thank you so much, Congresswoman Spamberger. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Andy Levy. Molly Jongfest. Who is your fuck that guy? My fuck that guy is not a guy. That's your first clue. She's the wife of a guy, a guy you may be familiar with. He is one of nine people in Washington who makes very, very big decisions. Who has a lifetime appointment. Yes, he is a lifetime appointment. And he does not recuse himself from making decisions, even when said wife has very big ties to uh, some of the stuff related to the things he's ruling on. Anyway, it's Ginny Thomas, <laughs> also known as Virginia. I could not guess. No, I know. I, I think you probably had it narrowed down to like four people. A bunch of months ago, we learned through uh, some emails that she was uh, pushing very hard for the Arizona election results to be overturned and to give them, to take it away from Biden and give it to Trump. And we have now learned uh, via the Washington Post from some new emails that she also uh, sent messages to a couple of uh, lawmakers in Wisconsin, uh, <laughs> a couple of state senators. And she sent them at, uh, according to the Post, virtually the same time she sent the emails to the Arizona folks. She was basically trying to do the same exact thing in Wisconsin that she was in Arizona, i.e. overturn the correct election results and give the state to Donald Trump. So, you know, it feels like Ginny's kind of, she's wormed her way out of the spotlight for the past couple months. And I think it's time I'm bringing Ginny back. You know, it's important that we don't forget her and that we don't forget the fact that her husband consistently makes awful rulings as a justice of the Supreme Court and that we keep her in our thoughts. They both, as a couple, I think they need to be in our thoughts daily. I think every day we should take a moment to reflect on the fact that Ginny and Clarence Thomas are doing bad things for this country. Until they die. Yeah, basically. So Ginny Thomas is my gender neutral fuck that guy. Justin Timberlake brought sexy back, but Andy Levy brought Ginny back. Yes, exactly. Exactly. We're basically the same. Yeah, this makes a lot of sense. Molly. Do you want to know who my fuck that guy is? I do. Who is your fuck that guy? It's the greatest, most fun villain fracas going. Peter Thiel, Mr. I can't say anything about him because I don't want to get sued. But that guy, venture capitalist, decided he had the candidates who were going. He decided to try his hand at Republican politics. He had two candidates, J.D. Vance. You'll remember him as having written Hillbilly Elegy, a mediocre book turned into a mediocre movie. And uh, Blake Masters, who is 11 years old. Um, but still an incredible racist, despite being 11 years old. Those two are um, Peter Thiel's chosen candidates. So he went to McConnell and McConnell said, since you've uh, picked these candidates, you can fund them. Not the business model that Peter Thiel had <laughs> hoped for. Yeah. Um, fracas ensued. Fuck both of those motherfuckers. By the way, I really enjoy Mitch McConnell sticking it 
to Peter Thiel telling him, you know, you pick the candidates, now you pay for them. But also it's nice to see them both having a tough time because they really are two of the worst people in the world. So congratulations, team. (laughs) Fuck them both. It's not often that people who deserve each other find each other. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to see it and I can't wait to see how it plays out. (laughs) Yes. On that note, we'll wrap this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking to smart folks from The Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.